Good morning, friends. It's great to hang out with you this morning and uh, look forward to the conclusion of our time together in our All In series. If you are with us for the very first time, over the last uh, couple of weeks, we've been gathering together on one campus uh, in one location, uh, though we typically uh, meet together in two places. Uh, And we've just been talking about what it looks like to go all in. And a couple of weeks ago, we just kind of began the idea of going all in in spite of fear. And sometimes the reason that we don't go all in or jump off the diving board is because we're afraid of what it might cost us. But last week we talked about if, if we can come to the place where we know that the righteous right hand of God upholds us, sustains us, and guides us, then it's worth going all in. And we do so when we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we have just encouraged one another in that way. Today, as we uh, conclude our time together, I just want to ask you the question, how far are you willing to go to connect with people that you love? Would you go all in for others if you knew that it would benefit them? And when I think about going all in, I think oftentimes uh, it means that you're willing to humiliate yourself in order that you connect with people that you love, which is the question I would ask you. Whether you're here in person or joining us online, are you willing to humiliate yourself in order to connect with those that you love? Are you sure? What if I made everybody stand up and we all do a dance contest right now? Are you willing to humiliate yourself? And some of you are like, yes, and then some of you are like, oh, I don't know. Listen, I think it's worth humiliating yourself to connect with others that you love. So uh, when we first began, uh, it's been almost 13 years ago, uh, we decided that we were going to partner with our sending church, which was a church out of Dallas, in creating a candlelight video. And the candlelight video was for safety instructions on Christmas Eve. And we thought, hey, we're going to do the city versus redneck version. And so we did a, a, a kind of a little city version for all of our friends in Dallas. And then we thought, well, we'll connect with all the rednecks out here and we'll do kind of a, kind of a play on that. And so um, I'm going to humiliate myself and some friends of mine real quickly to connect with you in this room, people I love. So y'all check this out. Um, this is a throwback to 2011. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Merry Christmas to each and every one of you. We are absolutely thrilled to have you present with us tonight in our beautiful sanctuary to commemorate the incarnation of our beloved Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Howdy, y'all. Merry Christmas. We're delighted to have you out here with us to celebrate this here birth of Jesus. It's going to be a hoot, and we're glad you came along for a ride. As is our tradition, we conduct a candlelight service on this night to pay homage to Jesus, who came into the world, thusly becoming a light unto the world. We love having this here candlelight service on Christmas Eve, because it reminds me that Jesus is the light to the world. Matter of fact, if Jesus were a stove, he'd be the pilot light. That's a good analogy there. I don't care who you are. In an attempt to keep you and those around you out of harm's way, we have a small number of candlelighting safety tips we would count on you to follow. We don't want nobody getting burned up or nothing. The ER is no place to be on Christmas Eve, 
and we don't want anybody getting their Christmas ruined because some rug rat got himself burned up and we got to go to the ER. Now, we got a couple of three things that we want everybody to do to keep everyone safe, alright? Firstly, please tilt the unlit candle in the direction of the lit candle, thus avoiding dripping of wax on our costly carpet and antique pews. Doing so will ensure that our highly paid building and maintenance engineers stay in good spirits for the duration of the holiday season. Now, failure to adhere to this policy will result in the removal of your candle from your possession. If you got that lit candle, don't be tilting yours to the person next to you. Let that there person next to you come to you. I don't know if you have any idea how hard it is to get candle wax up off the floor, but I guarantee you, you drip it on our floor, you'll be finding out how hard it is to scrape that stuff up. Nah, I'm just kidding with you. Secondly, once you have successfully ignited your candle, please do not play with the flame, as this could result in serious lifelong injuries, and any injuries you might sustain as a result of your pyro indiscretion could adversely affect the joyous experience of those around you. And by and by, silk burns rather quickly. Now, once your candle's aflame and y'all don't want to mess around, alright? We don't want to see anyone getting burned up on Christmas Eve, and no one likes the smell of singed hair, especially if it's all oily because you don't want to take a shower. We're going to be singing Rudolph songs. We want to have a great time, and we don't want to get anybody burned up. And remember, flannel's real flammable. Okay, that's enough. Third. That was painful enough, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure we garnered that kind of response back then. So are you willing to humiliate yourself to connect with those you love? Listen. Um, I think that I can make the case today that God, who in heaven loved you so much that he was willing to humiliate himself and his son to connect with those he loves. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me real quickly to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, if you're kind of new to your Bible, Philippians is in the New Testament. Uh, the Old Testament is uh, 39 books that tell you about the nation of Israel. The New Testament tells you about the Messiah who comes from the nation of Israel and uh, in the New Testament, there is a letter that was written by a, the guy named Apostle Paul, and he writes to the church of Philippi. In Philippians 2, he's going to, in, he's going to make an example to the church in Philippi of this man named Jesus, the Messiah who came from the nation of Israel to save people from their sins. And this is what Paul says that we should consider about the person Jesus. In verse 5, he actually says, you should have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he says, you're going to have the mind of Christ Jesus, and this is why you should take on that idea. And he says in verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, meaning Jesus, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, what Paul says here is he says, listen, you and I ought to think about what it looks like to be like the Christ. And then he gives us the example of what Christ did. Christ, in many ways, was humiliated so that he would connect with those that he loved. Matter of fact, what Paul says there in verse 6 is, or verse 5 and 6, is that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Meaning, 
Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus was the creator of everything we see and know, even the things we don't see and know. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is Jesus, and Jesus has existed for all time. He is the beginning and the end. What's interesting is because Jesus is God, he has to go to great lengths to identify and humble himself to be like us. In which at that point, he didn't consider something as his divinity, to, something to be grasped. But he actually humbled himself, became humiliated to, in many ways, give up what he knew, the heavenly rim, in order to identify into space and time so that he could be like us. And in doing so, he humbled himself as a servant. What's interesting is it says that he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, meaning he didn't say, hey, I'm God and I'm not going to lower myself to these standards. But the opposite, he actually says, yes, though I am God, I want to connect with people I love. And so Jesus became obedient to his father and he lowered himself to those that he loved. And when he lowered himself, verse 7 says, he emptied himself. Uh, the word in the Greek is kenoo, which literally means to, to empty. Everybody say empty. That's what he did. He emptied himself. He lay aside really his kingship um, and he lowered himself to us. What's interesting is in verse 7, I'll put it for you so you can see it. It says he emptied himself and then it says by taking. And the word taking there is an interesting word in the Greek, which is the word lambano. And taking, it actually means to add or to bring in addition to. I like to think through it in a mathematical term, which doesn't make any sense, but it does to me, uh, is subtraction by addition. Um, and what happens is, is that he subtracts not his divinity, but he adds humanity. So Jesus, when he lowers himself, he doesn't become less than God. He just takes on the form of a servant. What he does is he, he humbles himself to the point where he would be willing to identify with those he loves. And you might ask the question, well, how did God, Jesus, lower himself to identify with us? Well, listen, we know throughout the scriptures that Jesus was hungry. And that as he took on the form of a servant, as he took on flesh, he was also thirsty. He met with a woman at the well and asked for a drink of water. We know that in John chapter 11, at the, the death of his friend Lazarus, that he had sorrow. Uh, we know that he wept, that he endured pain. We know, according to Matthew chapter 4, that he was tempted multiple times. So in all of these ways, he's trying to connect with those that he loves. And here's what I want you to realize. God loves you so much that he was willing to humiliate his son in order to connect with those that he loves. You don't believe me, Isaiah chapter 53, 700 years before Jesus, the Christ child ever came, the prophet Isaiah said that God would stricken and smitten his own son, that he would lead him like a lamb to the slaughter. Isaiah chapter 53, it says it was the will of God to crush his son. It was the will of God to humiliate his own son so that he would connect with those he loves. What's interesting is, is if you haven't heard it, God loves you, and no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, and no matter what's been done to you, there's a God in heaven who loved you so much that he humiliated his son to identify with you. 
The writer of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. He says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, yet we have one who is tempted in every way just as we are, yet he was without sin. See, Jesus was brought low so that you and I could be lifted up. Matter of fact, that's who Jesus was. He, he humbled himself and he became obedient, not just in his birth, but even it says here in Philippians 2 verse 8, to the point of death, death on the cross. See, that's the ultimate servant. Now, I don't know about you, but when you think about serving or humiliating yourself, it's not something that we think of, but we do it all the time. Let, let me show you a pic, okay? Look at this crazy looking guy right here. Like, you look at him, and you're like, dude, like, and there's a lot of conservatives in the room that you already have an opinion, right? <laughs> but the opinion changes when you see the other half of the picture. And see, like, dads, like, you're a really good dad if you humiliate yourself to connect with those you love, right? Uh, let me show you another picture. Very similar. You're like, oh, this guy's nuts, right? Cuckoo. Until you see the other half of the story. Perhaps maybe, ladies, you experience this in your room, or maybe you hope to, joy. And it's that happiness that you see humility. Because you got to see the other half of the story. And see, I want you to go down on his knees. It is a humbling thing. Like, you may not know it. But men, if you've ever gone down on your knee for your woman, you asked her for her hand in marriage, I can remember like my stomach being queasy. I can remember the conversation that had to take place in advance. I can remember just the humility because it really is a humbling thing to submit yourself before someone you love. But I would just submit to you today that I think that's what our God has done for us. He has been brought low so that you might be lifted up. Matter of fact, Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, um, in chapter 10, verse 45, it, it says this about Jesus. It says, for the Son of Man, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, says, he, he came not to be served, but to serve. And then what's interesting, it says, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, what I want you to realize about every world religion, with the exception of this one called Christianity, every other world religion elevates their God. And yet it is our God who didn't elevate himself, but he actually came low to be a servant. And what's interesting is, is he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many to connect with those that he was pursuing. And we see very clearly that he would connect with even the least of these. Uh, we know that in Luke chapter 19, he connected with a guy named Zacchaeus, a tax collector, one that everyone else wrote off. And it was there in Zacchaeus' story at the end of it in Luke chapter 19 that we see that Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. And see, that's what our God has done. Jesus went all in. And you may wonder, okay, I get it. He came low, but how, like, what do you mean he humiliated himself? Let's just start with his birth real quickly. Think about the birth. If he's the prince of all princes, the prince of peace, as Isaiah said, why was he born in a stable? He was born in the city of Bethlehem. That's not where he was from. He was from the city of Nazareth. That's where his parents, Mary and Joseph, were from. Nazareth was a little podunk town, a little nasty place that even 
people laughed at when Jesus was in his ministry and said, well, what good could come from Nazareth? If you're from East Texas, there might have been somebody that's made fun of your little town before, and they might have said, well, there was nothing good that could ever come from your little town. But the reality is that's where Jesus came from. And when he came, he was born in the city of Bethlehem, but he wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a pasture. And he was born in a little manger, uh, and it was there in the, probably the cleft of a rock, a little hill, that Jesus found himself being born in a stable, a manger, a little feeding trough, wrapped in swaddling clothes, wrapped up, much like they would wrap a little small lamb laid in a manger. It would have been something that the shepherds could have easily found because they were used to wrapping small, small lambs. And yet here it is, this small little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes like a lamb was, was indeed the Lamb of God, the one who would take away the sin of the world. Is what John the Baptist said in John 1 verse 35. So here it is, this lamb who was born in a manger full of stench, manure. It wasn't a pristine thing. We, we dress it up today. We, we, might, we like the manger scene to look nice as we present it. But listen, it was a dirty place. He was hated and reviled even upon his birth. King Herod wanted him dead. They had heard that the king of the Jews was being born. And so Herod searches out after him. Jesus and his family have to flee to Egypt. You remember the story. I want you to know that that was a very humbling way to come as a king. And after all, if he was a king, then shouldn't it have been more grand? But yet it was he who is the king of the Jews came as a servant. He lived as a servant. He, he didn't live in kingship. He wasn't given things. He worked as a humble carpenter. He provided for himself most of the time, as we know in Scripture. He had parents that he had to be obedient to. He he was a young man that grew up to be a wise one. Why? Because he was the king of the Jews. But yet it was the king of the Jews that also got him into the limits. That even as he healed and helped people, he was hated. He was reviled. He was persecuted, which led to him going to the cross. And listen, the cross was a very humiliating death. It was one set aside by Rome for criminals. Jesus wasn't a criminal. I mean, he was a peacemaker. Certainly did some things that made the government mad and certainly made the Jewish elect pretty frustrated. But the reality is he didn't deserve a criminal's death. And yet it was a criminal's death that he got. Stripped naked, led to a flogging post, beaten beyond recognition. His, his beard was plucked. He, he was cursed. He was spit upon. He was beaten with their fist. He was then taken and led to a place where only criminals were killed, to the hill of Golgotha, outside of the city. He was hung on a sinner's tree. He was lifted up as if he had done wrong, and yet the scriptures say he was innocent in every way. You want to talk about a humiliating death? It's one thing to die on your bedside with people around you. It's another thing to die when you've been stripped naked and you have been led throughout the city and then hung for everyone to see you in humiliation. See, I want you to understand that God went to great lengths to identify with those he loved. Like if you've never sensed that or felt that, Jesus came low. So that he might know you. And that you might know him. He humbled himself. And what's interesting is that he didn't just do that. 
so that we would go, oh, wow, that's the Christmas story. He did that so that we would know the great links in which he went. C.H. Spurgeon, a great theologian, said this. He says, he lowers to save us. He stoops. And the higher we ought to lift him up when we see it, we should have an adoring reverence. Blessed be his name. He stoops and he stoops and he stoops. And when he reaches our level and becomes a man, he still stoops and stoops and stoops lower and deeper yet. See, it's one thing for God to become man, but when he became man, he just kept going lower. And why did he do that? Because he loves you. And what's interesting is, is that not only does he love us, but when we follow him and we call ourselves Christ followers, he actually calls us to similar service. He calls us to do something similar. Matter of fact, in Philippians 2, we read verses 5 through 8. But I want you to see right before that, right before he said, have this mind among yourselves. Look what he's saying, have the mind of. When he says, have the mind of Christ, he is saying in verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. That word in the Greek, humility, is a different word that's used in verse 6. Um, it's a different word. I'm sorry, verse 8. It's a different word, but it, the word there literally means to have a humble view of oneself. It's to have a different regard even in your mind. So it says, in your mind, consider others more significant than yourselves. Verse 4 says, let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. See, Jesus didn't come to, to, to be served, but served to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul is saying, likewise, you and I should have the mind of Christ. We ought to consider others better than ourselves. Now, what's interesting is when you read that, it reminds me of what Cody King, our campus pastor here in Edgewood, taught on last week. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, we saw this passage where uh, the lawyer is asking and trying to trick Jesus into what's the greatest command. Jesus replies, and he said, hey, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then what? With all your, what? Y'all remember? Soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He says, this is the greatest and first commandment. He goes, the second is like it. And he says, you shall love your neighbor as what? Yourself. And then he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So last week, we talked about going all in and our love for Jesus. What Jesus says, when you go all in with your love for me, he goes, you can't help but go all in for your neighbor. The reality is, is that Christianity is about a king coming low. And when you think about him coming low, you might ask the question, what is he calling us to? Well, listen, I think he's calling you to go low so that others are lifted up. I think that he is calling us to go last so that others go first. I think he's asking us to go without so that others don't go without. I really think that he's asking us to consider what it looks like to be like the Christ, to forgive as we've been forgiven. You see these examples? That's what it looks like to be like the Christ, the greatest servant of all time. As we wrap up our time together, I just want you to consider what does it look like to become all that God wants you to be? And here's what I would say. I don't think you can be all that God wants you to be until you're willing to get uncomfortable. Matter of fact, I'm going to put something up for you on the screen. Just 
you to consider it. Genuine Christ followers become comfortable with being uncomfortable. You become comfortable with being uncomfortable. The Lord's been trying to teach me this lately. Um, and uh, I, I have a restaurant in Terrell, Texas, um, that I like to eat at at least once a week, okay? Uh, and I typically go, the only time you'll see me there is lunch, okay? Um, because I'm, I'm cheap, um, and there's one particular thing that I like on the menu, and it's like seven bucks. It costs me like seven bucks to go and eat at lunch. And I go, but the last handful of times that I've gone, every single time there's someone at the front door that I meet and I lock eyes with. And listen, when you have a stranger and you lock eyes with them, there's a certain conviction that comes over. And you're either like, you've got to make a conscious effort to turn the other way, or you've got to do something about the need in front of you. And I've just been faced with that reality the last handful of times I've been there. What do I do with it? What do I do with this person that's in a wheelchair? Hey, what do I do with this person as I'm getting in my vehicle who's, or getting out of my vehicle who approaches me? What do I would do with them? Do I just say, hey, have a nice day? Hey, sorry, I can't help. Or, or do I do something? And it was in those moments that I remind myself of how Christ was brought low so that others are lifted up. And that's my first thing. Just think about, bring yourself low so that others are lifted up. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 11 and 12, this is what Jesus says. He says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now, what's interesting is Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew chapter 23, he says, woe to the Pharisees. And you know what he says the Pharisees do? He says, the Pharisees tie up cumbersome loads on others that they're not willing to carry themselves. He actually later calls them whitewashed tombs. He says that they are like dirty cups. Uh, they look good on the inside, but on the inside, it's dirty. He says they're dead men's bones. They got a whitewashed tomb on the outside, but on the inside, it's bad. He basically calls them hypocrites. And then he gives you this expression right there. He just says, but listen, not true of those who are Christ followers. Because he goes, listen, if you want to be my servant, then he goes, humble yourself. And that's what it looks like for a Christ follower to go all in. You humble yourself so that others are lifted up. And I would say that even as we think about this Christmas, there are many of us who are walking into this season and there are relationships right now that are strained. There are things in our life that are out of place. We know that things are not all they should be, and yet we have this commission, this call on our lives, even this moment right now, will we be brought low so that others are lifted up? Will you be the one who goes to a family member and says, hey, listen, things aren't right, and I don't want to do this anymore? Because can we just be honest? Carrying around unforgiveness and bitterness is exhausting. But do you know how it's resolved? It's resolved when one party humiliates themselves and goes low. It's when you literally come and you just say, hey, listen, will you forgive me? You know what's interesting about this humbling position right here? It brings you low. But can I tell you one other thing? Any football fans in here? Any football fans? Go ahead, raise your hand. Like, oh, I can't wait to get to the Cowboy game. Like, okay, can, can I tell you the greatest play 
for a football team. The last play of the game, when they take a snap, take two steps back, and it's called the victory formation. Coaches, what does that mean? It means we won. It's the victory. Listen, there is victory when we humble ourselves so that others are lifted up. And I pray that you would consider that. There's also great hope when we go last so that others may go first. Jesus says that as well in Matthew chapter 20. Um, interesting in Matthew chapter 20, there's the whole uh, concept of the, the, the laborers and the vineyard and not being fair. And then Jesus just says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 16, he goes, listen, the last will be first and the first shall be last. Right after that parable, you've got the sons of Zebedee's mom coming and go, hey, can, can one of my sons be on your right and one on your left? There's this argument that's happening. Who's gonna be the greatest of the kingdom? And Jesus emphatically makes the point that the greatest of the kingdom go last. And one day they'll go first. He makes it very clear that the greatest of the kingdom are servants. And one day they'll be lifted up. And I would just encourage you that this Christmas to be thinking about, hey, how do I go last? I think about even a way to practice this very practically. We're going to walk out of here in just a handful of moments and we're going to go to lunch. And I don't know about you, but when the dinner bell goes off at the back to the house, we all are ready. Understand? But we never compete for who's going to go last. Because in our culture, there's always a competition about who's going to go first. And we, we have no problem serving ourselves, do we? But the reality is Jesus goes, look, it's flipped in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, we serve ourselves last so that others may go first. Friends, how can you practically do that even this year? Uh, one of the things that we put on our website uh, was a family guide. And December 25th on the family guide, there's actually a challenge. And you know what the challenge is? Is that as you open your gifts this year, we would encourage you, instead of everybody tearing in at one time, we would say, hey, why don't you take your time and every single person open a gift. And when you open the gift, recognize that th there was a gift you received. Take time to thank one another. And the challenge says then, hey, this will take longer than maybe you're accustomed to if everybody opens their gifts at the same time, but it will allow you the practice of patience. It will also allow you the practice of gratitude. It will allow you to see what it looks like to serve others and to go last so that others go first. I think there's more practical ways that can be put in use, but the reality is, as Christ followers, we have to be more like the servant master we follow as opposed to our own master, which we oftentimes crave and give into. The third thing that we clearly see, I think, in Scripture is not just that we would go last, but that we would go without so that others are not left out. Jesus says something interesting when he's talking about the final judgment in Matthew 25. I don't have time to read it all. But he gives the, the, the idea of goats and, and, and sheep, and he says wheat and chaff. And he gives this idea of what it's going to be like in the last kingdom, the last day of the kingdom. And he goes, there's the righteous, the unrighteous. And he goes, I'm going to say to the righteous, hey, thank you or well done for doing these things. He goes, because there was the hungry and you gave them food. He goes, there was the thirsty and you gave them something to drink. And he goes on and he says, look, there was the stranger and it was the stranger that you welcomed in. It was the one that was in prison that you went and you visited. It was the naked that you clothed. He gives all these examples. And with a righteous man then replies, well, wait a second. When did I do these things? 
And then he just says, listen, what you did for the least of these, you did unto me. See, the reality is, is Christmas is not about us. Christmas is about a God who came low for us. And really, I think we would reshape what this time of the year looks like if we became more like the Christ, as opposed to the American that we've been raised to be. What would it look like if you were brought low so others were lifted up? What would it look like if you went last so that others went first? What would it look like if you went without this year? Hold on, what did I just say? Like, that's blasphemous, isn't it? What would it look like if we went without this year so that others didn't go without? That's something to consider. And the last thing I just mentioned earlier is that we forgive because we've been forgiven. I think a parallel passage to Philippians 2 is Colossians chapter 3. Um, I don't have time to read all of Colossians chapter 3, but I just want to close with this. It says in Colossians chapter 3, it says, put on them. Put on them. Which means that in order to put on, you're, you're literally saying, I'm a part of a team. It's like putting on a jersey. Put on Christ as God's chosen ones. And what do you put on, holy and beloved? You put on compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, all these attributes, they don't come natural to you. All these things we put on because of God who humiliated himself to identify with those he loves, we do the same. And we bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, what's interesting, it says forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. How do, you, how do you get there? How do you forgive when you're right? How do you forgive when your story, your case, actually would, would go in court and you would win? Clearly, you have the best argument. Clearly, you're not in the wrong. Listen, it's when you say, I'm willing to forego being right so that others are lifted up. I'm willing to be last in this one so that others are promoted as first. I'm willing to go without so I no longer have to leave out someone. I'm willing to forgive because at the end of the day, I have a debt that has been forgiven. See, that, my friends, is Christmas. That, my friends, is what it looks like to go all in. And I get it. I know. Like, well, the hesitation it's not just that I'm right, but I'm a little fearful how this conversation is going to go. Let me just explain something to you real quickly. If this is the diving board and I can jump in, always jump in for obedience. You will never regret doing what God asks you to do. You'll never regret being more like Christ. There are a lot of things you'll regret in life but those are not two of them. You'll never regret obedience and you'll never regret being more like the Christ. Lord, would you help us? Because in this season, it's not all hunky-dory. There's a lot of people in this room that Christmas this year is not what they dreamed of. Christmas this year feels hopeless. Christmas this year feels lonely. Christmas this year is different. Can I just tell you in the midst of all those things, there's a God in heaven who loves you. 
no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter what you've suffered through. There's a God in heaven who is brought low so that this year, even in your loneliness, even in your sorrow, even in your unforgiveness, even in your selfishness, that you would be lifted up by the Christ. Oh Lord, may he help us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the message of Christmas. And I thank you, Lord, you are the greatest example of what it looked like to be brought low so that others are lifted up. I thank you, Lord, that you were the servant of all servants, that you went last, that you were beaten, that you were stricken, that you were punished, that it delighted our Father in heaven to punish his Son so that others may be first in the kingdom. You regarded heaven and equality not a thing to be grasped, but you humbled yourself and became obedient to death, death on the cross, so that others would not be left out. Thank you for the sacrifice you made. And I pray you would teach me to be more sacrificial. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.